Hey, you're listening to Yo, This Can't Be Life, the podcast that aims to educate and inform Black women on how to take better care of their physical, mental, and financial health. I'm your host, Bree Montgomery, and I'm inviting you to join me as I interview resident experts to find out the cheat codes to living your best life. The information provided is intended to be general advice and should not be considered medical advice. For that, please consult your medical professional. This week, we're talking all things infertility, options for non-male-female partnerships, and elective services such as egg freezing. In the guest chair, we have Tiffany Jones, MD, who specializes in obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology at Conceived Fertility Center in Irving, Texas. Dr. Jones earned her medical degree from Mahari Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee, and did her fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She has served as a fellow representative on the Education Committee and a lecturer at the Mayo Clinic. A California native, Dr. Jones has earned several awards and honors, including Alpha Omega Alpha and the Nurse's Choice Award for Resident of the Year. Dr. Jones has clinical expertise in all aspects of the diagnosis and management of infertility. She understands the emotional investment of couples undergoing fertility treatment and stands with her patients while striving to give the best care to those seeking fertility treatment. And with that, let's get into the show. At this time, I would like to welcome Dr. Tiffany Jones to the show. Hi. Thank you for coming. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do? Yes, so uh, I am a reproductive endocrinology and infertility specialist. So basically, I treat couples who are battling with infertility. I am OB-GYN board certified, and I am originally from Los Angeles, California. Nice. So when we're talking about a reproductive endocrinologist, at what point do you switch over from just a traditional OBGYN to seeing a reproductive endocrinologist? So a lot of women will be seeing their OB-GYN and throughout their life, uh, there might become a time there might come a time when they are trying to get pregnant or they haven't gotten pregnant and their OB-GYN prompts them with questionings about their desire to conceive. Um, after a woman is 35, she usually should come to see me after about six months of trying or if she's under 35, generally after a year of trying. But there are couples who need to see me sooner. For instance, if a woman has very irregular periods or no, she doesn't ovulate because she has a disease like PCOS. If the male is known uh, to not have sperm or to have very low sperm, those are some indications to see somebody sooner because a year or six months um, is unlikely to get you where you need without some help. Okay. So that makes sense. And how does birth control factor in, if at all? Yeah, so a lot of women um, have a misconception that birth control pills might prevent them from having children in the future, but that's been widely disproven. So how uh, birth control pills work is uh, it suppresses different parts of the reproduction to help prevent pregnancy but they last in the system very short term. That's why we take them daily. So once you're not taking them, your fertility should be restored. What can happen though is uh, birth control pills can mask 
things that are going on that someone might not know about. For instance, for someone who doesn't ovulate, they will get regular periods on birth control pills or seemingly regular periods on birth control pills because the way birth control pills work is when you take three weeks and then you take the placebo at the end, you'll get a period. And so you'll think everything is functioning normally because you get a period regularly, but that might not be the case. Okay. So once they're off the birth control, then they'll pretty much stop having a period or it'll be highly irregular? Yes. There is one form of birth control that can delay someone from having a return to fertility, and that's the Depo-Provera shot. So that can last in the system up to 18 months. So that's something that um, when women are older, I tend to uh, have them be more careful about taking because if you're, you know, 37, 18 months can put you into 39 and the fertility rates can be a lot different than so that that birth control pill, that birth control form is something to be cautious about. But IUDs um, and uh, other things that can be removed or stopped pretty much have you returned back instantly. Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit more. I know they talk about like advanced maternal age or things like that. When do you start doing things differently? And at what age should you start, you know, making decisions differently? Yeah. So the first thing I always tell people is um, we can't diagnose infertility without trying. So even if you come to me at a uh, older age, if you haven't tried and, and everything is working normally, then you should follow the guidelines about six months um, or if you're younger, a year. But for advanced maternal age, um, definitely we see that fertility rates start to decline at 35. It's not a, you know, like, oh, all is lost. I, I do caution women to feel like that because I think that there's a little bit of fear mongering that goes on when um, people start to talk about after the age of 35. But af- especially after the age of 40, uh, it really goes down. So in, in that age group, even my help is not always assured to get you a baby. So yes, it does start to go down. Um, The other thing that women have to realize is that as we age, the risk factors can start to go up. So risk in pregnancy, like gestational diabetes, hypertensive disorders, risk of premature birth, and also the risk of miscarriages starts to go up tremendously. Okay. Is there anything that you can do to kind of prevent or lower the risk of that? Like, are there dietary changes? Are there environmental changes that you can do if, say, you're 40 plus and you want to embark on that journey and you want to try to lower the risk, if at all? Yeah, so a lot of it has to do with you know, kind of like just your genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. So not all 40-year-olds are the same. But statistically, yes, the rates are lower. We always counsel people to lead as healthy of a lifestyle as you can, so that can be in your favor. But genetics does trump all. You can be in the highest rate of health and still get to menopause, you know, just like everyone else. So we all have a, you know, a kind of a genetic or biological clock ticking. Things that can speed up the deterioration of our eggs are leading a a non-healthy lifestyle, smoking, 
is also one of them. Um, people who have had cancer who are exposed to chemotherapy, their um, egg reserve can be lowered prematurely. So um, those are those are some of the things that um, some you can control, some you can't to mitigate those risks. For people, for single women or men, I guess, are the LGBTQ plus community. What kind of like, because you don't have that six months wait, what kind of options do you have when you go to see an REI? Mm -hmm. So it it depends on what what you're trying to do. So let's break them down into different uh, groups. So one group is the single, so the single person, um, that's a female. So a single woman can decide that she wants to be a single mom by herself. Uh, she can decide that, you know, she's still waiting for a partner, but wants to preserve her fertility. And so those two options lead you down different paths. So if you're a single mom and you're, and you want to get pregnant, then what you're missing is the sperm. So there are donor banks. Um, people can even use known donors. And there are um, procedures such as intrauterine insemination, where we purify the sperm and put it directly into the uterus that can help um, a woman get pregnant by herself. And then if she's just wanting to delay or preserve her fertility for the future, then egg freeze uh, is something that she can consider. Egg freezing is similar to the process of IVF, meaning that she would have to take medications for about two weeks to grow the eggs and then undergo a procedure to retrieve the eggs. And then we would freeze them for her. Um, if you're thinking about a LGBTQ couple that's two females, it would be the same thing using donor sperm that's either anonymous or from a known donor. And then they could do home kits that are called intracervical inseminations that can be sold through various companies. And then also the intrauterine insemination. They could choose to do IVF with donor sperm to create embryos and then one or both partners could carry the embryos and the eggs can be from either of the partners. If you have a same-sex male couple, then they are lacking eggs and then they're lacking a uterus. So they would need someone like a, a, a donor for eggs that could be known or anonymous and then they would need a separate person to be the gestational carrier. What are the rates of success, like how much of a difference between the interuterine process versus the IVF? Mm -hmm. So it, it all boils down to age again. Okay. Uh, after the age of 35, the success rates for interuterine inseminations are about 8% a cycle. Okay. Wow. So um, it's, it's actually pretty low. Uh, some people still elect to do it because IVF can be a considerable um, financial burden. And so although 8% is low, it's not zero. And uh, they would rather have that kind of success than no success. The success for IVF after um, the age of 35 can vary. If you're around 35 with good ovarian reserve, it can be upwards of 70% a cycle. If you're over the age of 40, it does decrease drastically depending on the ovarian reserve, sometimes 20-30%, but it also can be very low and even futile if there are very few eggs and the ovarian reserve is poor. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about that. What exactly is 
ovarian reserve? And then how do we know if we have low ovarian reserve? So yes, ovarian reserve is, uh, I like to use the analogy, how many eggs we have in the basket at this time. So we are born with all of the eggs we're going to have. We don't make new eggs. We just lose them as time goes on. But we're born with millions of eggs. So um, as we progress towards menopause, that egg number dwindles. We People think we lose like one egg a month, but we really lose like 20 to 30. And only one egg ovulates or one or two eggs ovulate a month on average. So what the ovarian reserve is, uh, it's a combination of blood and ultrasound testing. The blood tests are hormones. Uh, some of the hormones are from the brain, like follicle stimulating hormone, which does just that, stimulates the follicles in the ovaries to grow. And the follicles are fluid-filled sacs in the ovaries that hold the egg. In response to follicle-stimulating hormone, the ovaries secrete estrogen. And so you can know if there's a healthy balance between the brain and the ovary by the level of the FSH and the level of the estrogen in response. The other hormone that we test um, is anti-mullerian hormone or AMH. So those follicles have specialized cells that secrete AMH. So the more AMH you have around, the more of those cells you have around, the more of those follicles you have around, thus the more eggs you should have around. Um, the typical uh, value for AMH is about one. And it should be higher than that in, uh, in a young, healthy woman. And if it's lower than one, it can signify decreased ovarian reserve. And the last one is an ultrasound. So we can physically count the follicles in the egg. I'm sorry, the follicles in the ovary. We can't see the eggs because they're microscopic, but we can see the resting follicles called the antral follicle count. And so the combination of those together will give us the ovarian reserve. Okay. So if you go in and you find out you don't really have that much to work with, is that a signal that maybe egg freezing is not the best idea or how do you, what happens then? So I think it it has to be from a personal perspective. Mm -hmm. I think that what I see, what I come across is if a, if a woman comes to me and she wants to know her ovarian reserve, if I give her good news, she's likely to think she has a lot of time and is less likely to move forward. If she has poor ovarian reserve, she's more fearful that she's running out of time and likely to proceed with freezing her eggs. What's not great about that scenario is the one who has the more eggs probably has a better chance of, of uh, only needing one egg retrieval uh, or undergoing one of the processes to freeze the amount of eggs she would need to create the family that she would desire in the future over the person who has fewer eggs. And both of them, what they're missing out on is that none of us can predict really what's going to happen in the future. So just because your egg reserve seems to be low, it doesn't mean you can't get pregnant because like I said, fertility is about trying. So if you haven't tried to get pregnant, even if your AMH is low, it doesn't mean you're infertile at all. I've had patients with very low AMHs get pregnant on their own. And I've had patients with very high AMHs not get pregnant. So you really, it, it can't be predictive in that way. It might give us a little more information, but 
again, it's not, and it's not an end all be all. And, and even the American college of obstetrics and gynecology feels that it shouldn't just be routine testing because it can be, um, because it can't really be predictive. Um, it might be harmful in some situations. Okay. Okay. So if, so with the egg freezing, um, if you decided to go for it and you were saying that perhaps in a cycle you didn't really get enough, how many would you be shooting for or what, what is the draw point to say, okay, maybe I should do another cycle. This may not be enough to produce the family that I'd like. Mm-hmm. So I use a, a, a calculator that was uh, done by Brigham and Women Health uh, and they basically use the age a woman is at when she freezes her eggs and the number of eggs that are frozen to give a prediction about how many live births can be from that cohort of eggs. So again, most things are driven by age. So if I have a woman who's 30 and she gives me 15 eggs, she's likely to have a good chance of having two or three babies from those 15 eggs. Whereas if I have a 40-year-old who froze 15 eggs at 40, then she probably only has like a 15% chance of having one baby, if any. Okay. Wow. So, wow. Um, so the ovarian reserve is definitely uh, gives us a, a, a snapshot, but the age at which people do it uh, can definitely alter what happens if those eggs are needed to be thawed. Okay. So is that something they'll be able to identify once the eggs are there or do you have to wait until they become fertilized? You have to wait and see when they um, are fertilized. So what we can tell when we retrieve the eggs is we can tell if they're mature or immature and we can only fertilize mature eggs. So those are usually the only ones that are frozen. There are some places that do freeze immature eggs to hopefully um, develop techniques to mature them in vitro or in a lab one day in the future, but most clinics only freeze m- mature eggs at this point. Okay. So at least you'd have some indication just based upon the number of mature eggs, how many you even have to start with. Yes. You'll, you'll know the eggs, but, but really what we care about is how many embryos we make and then really how many normal embryos we make. And so really it's the, the post fertilization and the growth of those embryos that tell us. So that's why I think it's important for age to trump everything because the younger you are, the more likely that those eggs, those mature eggs will lead to normal embryos. And even if you're 40 with a very good ovarian reserve and say you froze 30 eggs, if you thaw them at 44, I can't tell you that any of those eggs are going to make embryos just because the age at which they were um, frozen, it, it gets really difficult to make normal embryos. It's I not see. impossible, right. but it's just, you know, it's just like it, it would be very hurtful to thaw them later thinking you had more um, because you had eggs frozen and, and not have any viable embryos from it. Okay. Okay. So basically what I'm hearing is you want to freeze your eggs as young as possible if you feel like you want to take some time to either figure out what you're doing or you're not at that place for whatever yeah. reason. Yes. I think, I think people who are 
you know, if you are in your early 30s and you are on a career path or on a journey where you know that you're going to probably wait until your late 30s, early 40s to conceive, freezing your eggs at that time would probably be a, a not a bad idea. You, you may never need them. I always tell patients, you may never need these eggs. You're not freezing them because you need them. You're freezing them because if you need them, you'll have them. But we're still hoping that you don't have fertility issues, but no one can predict it. Right. So basically, even if you do freeze eggs, are you saying that you would want people to try first on their own is fresh best? It's cheapest. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely cheapest because what people have to realize is you have frozen eggs that has a cost. Fine. But thawing them, creating embryos, growing those embryos, and then putting those embryos back into the uterus, that has a whole nother cost. So, of course, you don't, you know, you don't want to incur that cost, but you, you take on the first part of it for more or less just a little bit more of comfort and assurance. And then the second part of that cost you only take if you need it. Okay. Okay. So... For those people who are not necessarily freezing or looking at these other options due to age or relationship type things, those people, I think you kind of mentioned before, like um, PCOS or some of the other issues that cause fertility. Can we talk a little bit about those things that cause infertility even at a young age? Mm -hmm. PCOS is very common. It stands for polycystic ovary syndrome. And it's really a misnomer because they're not cysts. They're just, you have a bunch of follicles in your ovary, but they don't, they don't ovulate. So um, women with PCOS can have higher male type hormones called androgens that cause an imbalance that leads them not to ovulate. They can also have insulin insensitivity, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, facial hair, uh, which is uh, hirsutism, so types of hair patterns that um, are more commonly seen in men than women. Um, And all of that part of the syndrome, just they don't ovulate or they ovulate very rarely. And so they don't get periods very often. Some people go two years without getting a period. Mm -hmm. And, And so if you're not ovulating, you're not releasing an egg. And if you're not releasing an egg, how can you get pregnant? You need a sperm and an egg. So uh, those women should see someone to get medications and usually they're oral medications and they're very inexpensive to help them ovulate when they're trying to get pregnant or be on some kind of hormonal um, management when they're not trying to get pregnant. And, And even though it might seem counterintuitive because it's like, well, you just said, if I'm not releasing an egg, I can't get pregnant. Well, your body is releasing hormones that are unchecked. You're releasing a lot of estrogen that is unchecked and unopposed estrogen can lead to cancer in the uterus. So birth control pills have estrogen and it has progesterone and progesterone is the hormone released once the um, egg is released and the, the follicle that's left behind transitions to making progesterone. And so progesterone is the counter for estrogen. So it will help prevent uterine cancer. So birth control pills can be protective in that manner. Some other things that young women can have that can lead to infertility is endometriosis. Endometriosis is when the lining that we shed every month that causes us to bleed 
implants inside of our body instead of just staying in the uterus. We think that it might be because of what's called retrograde menstruation or the, the flow of the, menstru- uh, the menstrual blood going through the fallopian tubes and not just down out and through the cervix and vagina. So if someone has endometriosis, it's a very painful and inflammatory disease. And the fallopian tubes that uh, are attached to our uterus that help the egg get into the uterus um, every month, they're very delicate and very sensitive to inflammation and can be scarred and closed by endometriosis or other inflammatory processes like um, infection with gonorrhea or chlamydia, um, past surgeries uh, to the uterus or anything in the pelvis, um, inflammatory bowel disease. So so women with endometriosis um, can have difficulties because of the tube and even if the tubes are open because of the inflammation um, implantation of the embryo uh, can be difficult. So they, they have a lot of risk factors for why pregnancy might not occur. Oh, wow. Okay. So on the past, in the past, we've talked about fibroids on this show. Mm-hmm. Are there anything, anything that people who currently have fibroids or people who have fibroids remove should be aware of or do differently in preparation for trying to carry a child? Yes. So fibroids plague a lot of women, especially African-American women, and they can start in us very young. And unfortunately, most of our recommendations are not to do anything to them and not even to check to see if we have them unless there are some symptoms. So what people need to know is that not being able to get pregnant is a symptom. So you need to have an ultrasound to, to, you know, to check all the systems to see what's working, what's there, and especially fibroids. So we think that fibroids only cause a problem for pregnancy when they're inside of the uterus. And what inside of the uterus means is if everyone pictures a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or probably just a jelly sandwich would be better. Um, so you have two slices of bread and you have jelly. So if you separate those two slices of bread and you find a jelly bean inside, that jelly bean is causing, it's taking up space and it can be releasing cytokines or hormones that can really affect an embryo from implanting. So that's what a fibroid inside the uterus would mean. It would be inside of the bread, not on the outside of the bread or baked in the bread. It's, it's between the two slices. And those fibroids would need to be removed. Usually some of the other symptoms besides infertility is heavy bleeding or bleeding intermittently, spotting in between periods are some things that you would probably want to get checked out. Um, Some women don't have any fibroids on the inside of the uterus, but have several on the outside or baked in um, to the muscles of the uterus. And in some cases, those will probably cause a problem too when they're so very numerous or very large. Okay. All right. So it's like so many layers. It's so many layers. All right. So if you say you've been trying for six months or more, depending on your age, you come in and you want to see a reproductive endocrinologist, what are you looking for when when you're doing your research to find that good doctor-patient match? 
Yeah. So a lot of OBs will refer you to someone that they trust. I think if you trust your OB, then good referral means a lot because typically they have a relationship, which can be very helpful, especially when I'm seeing my my patients who are referred to me because usually I have people's cell phone numbers, they have mine, so they can text me in the middle of clinic, call me, and you know you get more of a um, collaborative care. And with that, when you're when your OB and your um, REI know each other, uh, but if you're if you're looking on Google and and things like that, you know everyone gets reviews, and so you you know. Usually people who are mad leave the best reviews, (laughs) so sometimes you got to take that with a grain of salt, but you definitely want to research that person, and, you know, usually people have a bio on their website, and then honestly, I think you can meet multiple people. I do encourage my patients, you know, to get a second opinion um, and just to make sure it's the right fit. This is a very intimate part of your life to creating your family. You need to really trust the person because a lot of the times, you know, things don't go right the first time. Okay. And I think it puts a lot less pressure on the patient and the doctor when there's already a a, a level of trust. Okay. Some people feel that reproductive endocrinologists are just trying to make money. And if that's the feeling that you have with your doctor, then you're probably not sitting next, you know, across from the person that it's going to be right for you. Because I, I have so many patients that, you know, unfortunately, this the first round of treatments don't work, especially IUI cycles. You know, the success rates are very low. And so you just want to have that security that you trust that person um, implicitly for not just when things go right, for when things don't go right. Okay. So how do you understand the difference between normal, this just didn't work out because that's just how it is versus, hey, I may need to seek a different professional. At -hmm. what point do you decide, let me try someone else? Yeah, I, I think, again, it might be a personal decision. Trust is very important. So anytime I get a spidey sense, I think it's just time to try something new. And like I said, I tell my patients to get a second opinion, especially when things aren't going well. Because when I'm telling you something, especially if I have to tell a patient that I don't think that whatever their prognosis is, I mean, whatever their underlying issue is, I think their prognosis is very poor. Or maybe I tell someone they need donor eggs. Um, I think that... to be fair to yourself, you need to talk to somebody else. Even if you circle back to your original reproductive endocrinologist, just hearing it from another person will give you a little bit more security that, you know, this is true. Because if I tell somebody that as a woman, I don't think I'm going to be able to get you a baby that's genetically related to you, that can be very devastating to someone. That's typically not what's in our mind's eye when we're considering how we're going to start our family. It's probably the farthest thing from a, a black woman's mind's eye because culturally that's very difficult. So if I have to give that kind of news, you know, I always say, but, you know, like, you know, see if someone else has something else they can offer. And if I, and I try to be very collegial in my field to know what maybe other people are researching, you know, what, what is out there for my patient to help them. Because if it's not me and it can be somebody else, then they should be referred to somebody else. 
Um, but but I, I don't think any physician should be um, offended by someone getting a second opinion. So as far as Black women patients, are there any trends or things that you see that happens more likely with us? So I think that definitely we have more fibroids. Okay. I think that I, I and a majority of my patients are African-American women. And a lot of them, a lot of us, because I'm an African-American woman too, so a lot of us come to me later. Mm. Um, a lot of us come to me after several doctors, um, feeling that they haven't got the best care. And so I find that very disheartening. A lot of women have come to me single and, and wanting to freeze their eggs as of late. So I think there is something going on and I'm happy about it, you know, and it's not that I think women should freeze their eggs. Okay. I am someone who just believes people should have information to make the best choice for them. And if freezing your eggs is the best choice for you, if you got the coins, if that's what you want to do, fine, it should be an option. But I don't think that it's mandatory. I, I think that a lot of women will freeze their eggs and they may never need them. And as long as they're okay with that, it's their choice to do. But I'm happy that the trend that I'm seeing is just us being empowered to do so. Because you know the statistics about mm-hmm. us finding love later in life, getting married later, being older, and that does not do us any justice reproductively. So when we hear about the Kenya Moores and, you know, she was, I think, about 46 when she had her baby, you know, if you hold that, and we don't know all of Kenya Moore's story, she shared some of it with everyone, which was so great. But, you know, you don't know if Kenya Moore froze her eggs younger. You know, I would say that at 46, it would be very hard to have a normal embryo from an IVF cycle. So it is not a lot of clinics won't even they won't even let you through IVF. It would be donor egg is the only option. And it's because one, they don't want their rates affected by taking all these people through and then have a negative test. And then two, for your patient side, you don't want to be predatory on these women and have them spending all this money on IVF and not having anything to show for it. So it's right. really, you know, like we, you know, we are more at my clinic, we're more about giving people a shot. Okay. As long as they're very adequate, adequately counseled, because we just believe in patient autonomy so much that it really boils down to what you want to do as long as you understand. Okay. But these treatments can be expensive. So you just have to understand that when I'm telling you it's like a 6% chance, that's really, really low. And if you're willing to go forward with that kind of a chance, then I'm, I'll, I'll rock with you. Okay. But you can't then come back to me if it doesn't work and say, well, doctor, what happened? Because see, now I know you wasn't listening the whole time. You know, it's really, we're looking for, you know, a golden ticket instead of having a really good chance. And so for people like that Kenya Moore situation, if, if you have the means to do it in your thirties, and I know we don't have a crystal ball to see that, you know, it's going to take us, you know, another 10, 15 years to find him, you know, you have 30 year old eggs. They're always going to be 30. They're always going to be that age. You'll age, but your eggs won't. And it'll just set you up for having that fairy tale 
that you desire. Because as black women, we plan our stuff out. Not to say other people don't, but I'm going to tell you, we have planned it. We know what it looked like. We just going to get it. Okay. Yes, it's already, absolutely. it's already spoken, ain't it? Listen, <laughs> I'm definitely a planner. That's why yeah. this year, 2020 has put me on my tail because yeah. I'm like, this wasn't the plan. This wasn't the plan, but you know, we still up and grinding. Right. Okay? Right. We absolutely. Know, we, we know how to strike a line through something and go in a new Be direction. Like, All right, pivot. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, so that's, that's, that's the latest thing I've seen a number of women just going to freeze their eggs, um, that are African American and, I think that's that's very powerful. Okay. All right. Well, hey, you know, options are wonderful and I like I like dealing with options, but I like that you are very frank and tell the truth about what the percentages are even when they're not so good. Like, hey, you know, yeah. this is what it is. So if you still are willing to do that, then, you know, this is this is what we're working with. But have you had any of those golden tickets yes. where you kind of yes. thought that it In wasn't going to be? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, you but know, God. but God, because I mean, because I think there's science and then there's God and then there's hope and there's faith, you know, and, and, and really we can't predict. I think doctor did a survey of um, what the oldest pregnancies a group of REIs had had. And I think the oldest one was 48 with her own eggs. Okay. Oh, with her own. With wow. her own eggs. Oh, with donor eggs, it's not, it's not really a big deal. Okay. okay, okay you know, okay. the uterus will keep on ticking, okay. but the ovaries don't. So, um, but see the thing that happens with people when they hear that is they hear, oh yeah, 40, I'm 48. I could just... You know, it's like, let me tell you, no, ma'am. if it's one, that's what people come. They come to me like Janet Jackson. And I'm like, listen, I don't know Janet Jackson's situation. OK, but she was like 51. OK, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to tell you that's I'm, listen. OK, that was a golden no, ticket. I, I, I don't know what kind of ticket that was. Right. Okay? But Janet been know. having money. So she could have got when, hers froze. But when Janet Jackson was even the age that she could freeze eggs, we weren't freezing eggs. Okay, so this has only been around for like maybe 12 years. So I'm telling you, I don't know this situation, but I don't want women to be lulled into this false sense of security that it can happen at any time, at any age. And then there are some people that may have so much money that, you know, maybe you need 50 IVF cycles to find that. And I'm going to tell you, there ain't much many people who can do that. So it's to me, it's not helpful to have those one in a million people, right? right. Because then everybody thinks it's going to be them, and then people are very disappointed when it's not. Okay, I have trouble sometimes with people who are in their thirties, you know, which is completely unforeseen. Okay, but then when I have people who are in their late forties, no, no, I basically can tell you what's going to happen here. Have I had a couple people who have made me smile and made me so happy that they beat those odds? Yes. But by no means are those the norms. Okay. Those are the exceptions. And you can try to be an exception and try to see, but you have to be realistic and cautiously optimistic. And there are people that really, you know, like once you're in menopause, there's really, and the the natural age of menopause is 51. Okay. Really, no one's going to take you through an IVF cycle at that point. Right. Okay. Yeah, it is what it is. I mean, it's hard truth, but it's, you know, it is what it is. All right. 
So if we're looking to get a little bit more research on the topic, do you have some good resources we can look at? Yeah, so um, ASRM or the Associate, I'm sorry, the Association of Reproductive Medicine, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM, they have patient information. So that's my governing body. And then ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, they have a lot of information that they can give patients. So those are the good sources I would start with to get, you know, everybody Google everything. And I'm saying people, doctors Google too. Okay. But you have to understand what you Google and who's the source. Right. And so those are the, those are the trusted sources that I think that you should go to um, first. I don't think there's, I think that it's good that people form communities and then they get questions and answers from each other. Um, I think that there's something to be gained from everyone's experience to share that experience. So there are a lot of fertility and infertility support groups, but I do caution people because, you know, just because, just like I said with Janet Jackson, just because it's one person's story, it doesn't mean it's going to be your story. Mm -hmm. So you have to take it And then, you know, take it for what it is. Like this is one person's experience with something um, and not take it for this is just going to be what happens with you, too. But I I do think there's comfort in, in just sharing stories with other people. Right. I've seen different forms and stuff because, you know, researching this episode, I've looked at a few things. And plus, you know, I'm advanced maternal age myself. Mm -hmm. So you try to see what's out there. And I see people talking about different medicines and Mm -hmm. different things to look out for and even where to get certain medicines for cheaper Mm -hmm. because as I understand it some of these medicines are very expensive expensive. so I can see you know the forms and stuff being a good valuable tool long as like you said you take in account that yeah these are just regular people sharing their specific experiences Mm -hmm. yes well, thank you for that. I don't think I have anything else. Is there anything else you want to make sure that our listeners, you know, know? I, I definitely want anyone out there who is um, battling with infertility to understand that, you know, we're here to support you. It is a it is a battle, you know, it, it's a battle with sometimes small victories along the way a lot of bruises and bumps, but uh, generally patients get through it when you keep the faith. Any women out there who are, you know, just not even thinking about their fertility, there will come a point where you are thinking about it and, and just empower yourself with as much information as you can. And don't wait too long before you just start asking those questions. And if your OB-GYN isn't bringing those questions up, you can bring those questions up to your OB-GYN. Okay, great advice. So if we are lucky enough to be in your area, how can we find you? Yeah, so I practice at Conceive Fertility Center with two other fabulous doctors, Julian Escobar and Derek Haas. And we are at Conceive Fertility Center in Irving, Texas. We have a website, conceivefertilitycenter.com. You can find me on Instagram at tjonesivfmd. We also have Facebook and all that stuff. If you are ever looking to Google me, though, my name has two F's and two N's in it um, because my mom is a jokester. (laughs) So it's T-I-F-F-A-N-N-Y Jones. And you can find me in that way. And yeah, we're, we're looking forward to helping anyone who needs it. 
Great. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I feel like you gave us a lot of valuable information to work with. It was so great talking to you. And I hope someone got some information that they needed. All right, guys, what did you think? I love that she gave us the options available, but kept it real and let us know, you know, genetics and age play a really big factor. So you can't forget those things. If you'd like to keep up with Dr. Jones, again, she's at conceivefertilitycenter.com. That's in Irving, Texas. Otherwise, you can find her online at T Jones IVFMD on Instagram. If you'd like to keep up with the show, we're at Yo This Can't Be Life on Instagram and Facebook, or Yo This Can't Be Life on Twitter. Also, you can find the podcast on all major platforms, including Apple, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify. Please consider giving us a rating or review. And of course, subscribe so you don't miss anything. Until next time.